with Solomon, Song of Solomon, chapter number 4, in your Bibles this evening, marching verse by verse through the book of Song of Solomon, covering some topics that don't always get covered in a church service type setup, and I think uh, the Bible study tonight will uh, help us to have a a very biblical understanding of uh, God's idea here of, uh, of romance, so... Uh, why do we talk about these topics? Well, listen, every topic that's in the Bible, Satan tries to pervert and twist and messed up, and we need to try to understand it from a biblical uh, standpoint and so that we can really truly understand how God wants the world to work and how he wants us to lead and invest. Okay, verse number 16 of chapter 4 should be the last verse in the uh, uh, chapter here. Let's stand if we could for the reading of God's word. Song of Solomon, chapter 4, and verse number 16. We'll be looking at chapter 4 throughout the message this evening. The Bible says there, Awake, O north wind, and come thou south. Blow upon my garden, that the spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden, and eat his pleasant fruits. And here we have the farm girl talking to her beloved, her, um, her betrothed spouse, the man she would soon marry. And she is saying to him, I have kept this for you, and I want the wind to come and blow it all your direction, and I want to be all yours. And so the title of the Bible study tonight is this, Understanding Godly Romance. Godly Romance. Is romance in the Bible? Well, clearly it is. There are three types of love. In the Greek, there's an agape love, that's God's love, divine love toward man. There's phileo love, that's brotherly love. And then there's an eros love. And while some would say, well, that's a sexual love, and that's correct, it goes beyond just the act of marriage. It goes into romance between a man and a woman. And that idea is found in the Bible. We find it here in chapter 4, and we're going to look at it in detail tonight. I think the message tonight will be, and encouragement for all that are here. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand it and bind these truths to our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I believe everyone here has been here for a Song of Solomon Bible study, and so I'm not going to go in and give the recap of the book again uh, because I believe all of you here are familiar with the narrative as I have laid it out. But I will go back and just recap the storyline as it pertains to where we are right here to give us a sense. So um, this book is broken up into several acts. We are in Act 2 and in uh, scene number 3, Act 2, scene 3, or rather Act 2, scene 2, the harem uh, expresses their love, chapter 3, verses 6 through 11. The harem expresses their love and affection for their husband, uh, Solomon, And in that expression, they talk about here he comes, he's got all the cologne and perfume on from the finest uh, merchants in the world, and he's coming in on his chariot or his, um, his bed here, and he's, uh, his bridal car, it's made out of gold and silver, uh, the middle of it is paved with love, they say. And I said last week that I believe some of the harem probably rolled their eyes and said, Oh, brother, he pulled this on me and made me think I was the most special young lady in the whole world, 
and here he's pulled out all the stops and trying to sell this young lady on uh, the same thing. And so when we left off last week, we left off with Solomon having arrived on this bridal car, but he's yet to speak to the young lady. And so we get a contrast of two types of romance here in chapter 4. We get the perverse Solomon's idea of romance, and then we get the young lady's description of her romance between her and her fiancé. And so this second um, attempt by Solomon would be his most fierce. The third one we'll look at in a, a week or two was more of a passing attempt to try to one last ditch effort to convince her, but this would be his most aggressive. The first, uh, the first attempt to, uh, to woo the young lady was assumptive. This one is assertive and aggressive. And so we'll start by looking at his attempt uh, to persuade her to marry him, and then we'll get into uh, her response and uh, the relationship that she had with the shepherd. Okay, so let's jump into the notes this, uh, this evening and notice point number one, the second seduction of Solomon. The second seduction of Solomon. Uh, look with me at chapter 4 and verse number 1. Chapter 4 and verse number 1. And by the way, if you're marking in your Bible who is speaking when, uh, from chapter 4 verse 1 through verse 5, I have in my Bible marked uh, that Solomon is talking to the farm girl. Solomon is doing his best uh, to seduce the farm girl. So, so Solomon's second seduction of the farm girls, chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. Solomon's doing the talking. He says to the farm girl, Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove eyes within thy locks. I'm sure he's uh, speaking far more romantic than I am right now. And again, remember, this is an opera or a, a, a drama set to music. And so uh, it says, goes on to say, Thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear from Mount Gilead. Thy teeth are like a flock of sheep that are even shorn, uh, which come up from the washing, whereof every one bear twins, and none is barren among them. Thy lips are like a thread of scarlet, and thy speech is comely. Now before I continue reading, can I just say this is weird? Okay, uh, but the way that I guess the pickup lines in Solomon's day were quite different than they are now. Okay, is that a fair statement? Whether you agree with my take of the book, this is just strange. Uh, but this was romantic speech back then. And for a man to talk to a woman like this was impressive. And so we see here he begins with her eyes and her temples and he's working south. And uh, it says there... Uh, it goes on to say, Thy temples are like a piece of a pomegranate within thy locks. Thy neck is like the tower of David, builded for an armory, whereon there hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. Thy two breasts are like two young rows that are twins, which feed among the lilies until the day break and the shadows flee away. I will Get me, oh, let's stop there at verse 5. Okay, we'll get to verse 6 in just a moment. And so here Solomon is being very descriptive 
of this woman's body. He starts with her eyes. He talks about her temple. He talks about her nose. He talks about her cheeks. He goes on and talks about her neck. And then he moves below the collarbone and he talks about the chest that God has given this woman. And this is his attempt to seduce her. And it is just weird. It is just strange. And it is out of bounds. I uh, found online, actually I found this a long time ago, uh, I found this online years ago of the second seduction of Solomon. Someone took his words and turned it into a literal picture. Go ahead, Brother Joe. There you go. So she's got that beautiful neck, right, with the armor um, bears on it. And uh, let's see, what else there? Uh, she's got the tower that uh, faces toward Lebanon as a nose and Look at the, uh, the, the goats for hair and sheep for teeth and uh, scarlet for uh, thread for lips. I tell you what, uh, that's what I think of when I think of a beautiful woman is that right there. But you know what? If you think back to the very opening uh, sermon in Song of Solomon, you remember I put the picture on the screen of the woman all those men died for because she rejected them? That's not too far off, is it? That's, that's pretty close uh, maybe to that description. So um, anyway, that's just uh, meant to kind of make light of a, of a dirty uh, passage there where Solomon is uh, talking in a way that, it, in my opinion, is really far out of bounds. And so we see here the second seduction of Solomon. The world's version of... Thank you, Brother Joe. Uh, uh, that's just distracting. Thank you. Um, uh, the world's description of how love works, how romance works is really summed up in movies in a single room in the house, and that's the bedroom, the bedroom. To them, love is not agape, love is not phileo, love is eros, and it's only eros. And it's, uh, it's got to be highly sexually charged in nature, and it's pushed on us at every turn. We live in a country, where I've talked about this uh, in this series uh, over and over again, but boy, it just needs to be repeated here because of Solomon. We live in a country where we are uh, we have sex pushed on us at every turn, and I'm not talking about n- the natural affection of a husband and wife. I'm talking about unnatural affection and really any um, sexual activity outside of the bonds of marriage between a man and a woman is unnatural. It, it's unnatural. It's it's outside. Of God's plan, it's pushed on us at every turn, and we're told that God, that romance rather uh, has to culminate in the bedroom just about immediately. We live in a day of the hookup culture, where uh, Tinder is a thing, and you swipe left if you don't, you're not interested in the way the person looks, and you swipe right if you are, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, you're better for it. Uh, but you swipe right, and you get a match, and uh, you, you meet each other, and for many, many folks in the world today, if you're not climbing between the sheets by the third date, they're looking at you like, there's some, is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with you? It's just expected, and even many, many, many people get together, not for love. They get together to sleep together, and then they don't talk to each other after that. That is the culture that we live in, and it's just so far away from pleasing God. It is disgusting. It is a society that is drunk on sex instead of drunk on godly romance and godly love. And so Solomon here, he's had this girl in the temple in his palace for a day or two, and he comes out with the bridal car and he lays it on thick 
with his seduction of this girl. It is aggressive, uh, it is pushy, uh, and it, it fails. We see point number two, the stability of the farm girl, the stability of the farm girl. And so if you're marking there uh, in your Bible who's speaking when, verses 6 and 7, we find, uh, rather verse 6, we find the farm girl uh, speaking to back to Solomon. Verse 6 is the farm girl's response to Solomon. And then 7 through 15, we'll talk about that in just a moment. Look at verse number 6 with me there. Uh, she says, Back to Solomon until the day break and the shadows flee away. I will get me to the mountains of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. And then she's speaking of her love here. Thou art fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. And so just like in the first seduction where she speaks past Solomon to her shepherd fiancé, she does the same thing here. She says, I can't wait for the day where I am able to just get out of here and get away. She points to the mountains and says, I want to flee away. I want to break away. Uh, and I want to get to the mountains where my love is waiting for me. And so we see that this seduction of Solomon falls flat and uh, does not land, and she just wants to get away from the palace. Now, most of the time this evening, i like for us to spend on point number three. And notice here, uh, the shepherd off stage. The shepherd off stage. Now, please understand that this is written, again, as a drama set to music. And so picture with me, if you will, that this has been written in a way uh, that's meant to be theatrical and dramatic. And so Solomon comes riding in on this bridal car in this drama, and he's singing. Uh, first, the harem is singing about him on the bridal car, and then he's singing to her in a way that's uh, describing her physical beauty in a way that's weird to us, but wouldn't have been back then. And then she looks past him, and she's looking toward the, the mountains and wanting to get away to the mountains and can't wait for the day to break so she can leave and get to the mountains. And then the shepherd from off stage makes his entrance and he begins to sing to her, maybe as though she's imagining this. Or off stage, the shepherd is uh, singing to her in verse 7 through 15 is her fiancé or the shepherd uh, describing the relationship uh, with her. Now, again, I understand that the Bible does not say this. I understand that I am reading into the passage a little bit for this to be here. I concede all of that up front. But I will say this as supporting evidence for this, the way the chapter opens, verse 1 through 5, and then the way that chapter, verse 7 through 15 read, are two totally different ways to talk to someone. 1 through 5 focuses on the physical. 1 through 5 focuses on the sexual. 7 through 15 focuses on a romance that's more pure and godly. We have two contrasting styles, verse 6 in the middle, with the young lady speaking. In fact, they, they are so different in their styles, many have come to the same conclusion that I have, that this is somebody altogether speaking. And so I believe that this is the shepherd speaking from off stage. But now before we get into the A, B, C, and D of the message, and I pull the things out of here uh, that I want to pull out. Let's just read 7 down through 15 together, okay? And let's see here, uh, let's see here. Let, let's, let's read and see how the shepherd boy is talking uh, to, uh, to, to his love here, okay? Verse 7, in fact, I don't have that uh, marked in my 
notes here. Does verse 7 begin with, Thou art fair? Is that right? Okay, verse 7. Thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse. With me from Lebanon. Take from the top of Amana, from the top of Shanir and Hermon, from the lion's den, from the mountains of the leopards. Thou hast, hast ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. Thou hast ravished my heart with one of thine eyes, with one chain of thy neck. How fair is thy love, my sister, my spouse. How much better is thy love than wine, and the smell of thine ointments than all spices. Thy lips, O my spouse, drop as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under thy tongue, and the smell of thy garment is like the smell of Lebanon. Can you see a difference in purity in the speak here? A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up, a fountain sealed. Thy plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, camphor with spikenard, spikenard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the special spices, a fountain of gardens, a well of living water, and streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come thou south. Blow upon my garden, that the spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. And so we see just a very different uh, style here uh, in speak. He's speaking to her in a way that's far, far more pure in nature. And so we see the shepherd boy singing to his fiance from off stage. Let me give you an A, B, C, and D here. Notice letter A, his plan. His plan. Look with me back at verse number 7 and 8, and we see him describing what appears to be a honeymoon. It says, Thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. Look at verse 8. Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse. He wants to go to Lebanon on his honeymoon. Um, with me from Lebanon, look from the top of Amana, from the top of Shamir and Hermon, from the lion's den, from the mountains of the leopards. Almost as though he's trying to get her on a mountaintop over near Lebanon so they can look back at where she's been, the horror that she's been in the mountains, or rather the lion's den, where the leopard uh, Solomon is. And so he wants to get her away and wants to take her on a honeymoon. Let her be, notice, his partnership, his partnership. Look at verse number 9 and 10 uh, here, verse number 9 and verse number 10. And this, I love this here. Look here, thou hast ravished my heart. Notice that next part, my sister. You see that? My sister, my spouse, thou hast ravished my heart with one of thine eyes, with one chain of thy neck. We see here he's madly in love with her, but he refers to her first as his sister. Verse 10, how fair is thy love, my sister, my spouse. Again, uh, how much better is thy love than wine and the smell of thine ointments then all spices. Again, a verse or two later, he refers to her as my sister, my spouse. Look over at chapter 5 and verse number 12. Chapter 5 and verse number 12. It says there, His eyes are as the eyes of doves by the rivers of water, washed with milk and fitly set. Um, what do we have here? We have 
a man and woman who are deeply in love with, with each other, there is a godly romance going on here, and they view each other as partners. They view each other not, not just for their physical attributes. They, they don't just view each other for uh, what they, the other one offers from a look standpoint. There is a far deeper connection going on here. There is a respect that's given the one to the other. My sister, my spouse. My sister, my spouse. If you uh, don't already have the verse memorized, turn over to John chapter number 1 and verse number 12. I want to show you something doctrinally here that I believe fits in well with what we're talking about. Then I'll come back and make a strong application, if not an interpretation. John chapter number 1 and verse number 12. The Bible says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, we're not going to take the time to turn over there right now, but Romans chapter 8, verse number 16, talks about the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, or Daddy, Father. Now, uh, listen here. The moment I got saved... God became my heavenly father. Now, I'm saved, and my wife has put her faith and trust in Jesus to save her, and so she's also a child of God. That means that my spouse and I share the same heavenly father, and so on earth, um, uh, we are spiritual siblings in Christ. Spiritual siblings in Christ. Many, many, many people get married for all sorts of reasons. We talked about that a week or two. The stirring up love and the getting married for all the wrong reasons. Uh, can I tell you that godly romance is built on a, a unity of understanding that that person that you are dating and falling in love with, that they have a love for God and they are His child just like you are. You see... I, I had an understanding with Angela when I was dating her. This is the daughter of God, and she is my spiritual sister. There needs to be much, much more here than me just enjoying the smell of her perfume, uh, the pretty face that God's given her, uh, the figure that God's given her, far above any of those fleshly, physical things that would draw me to my wife is the fact that she has a deep relationship with God and she loves God and she looked at me and could see that I loved God and there was a drawing together, my sister, my spouse, my sister, my spouse. I remember several years ago our marriage hit a tough time and we were having to work through some very difficult things as a married couple and uh, we went and saw a counselor and we sat down with a counselor. And by the way, I'll just say this. Don't wait until your marriage is um, in shambles before you go see a counselor. If you're having a, even a difficult time in your marriage, don't wait until you're in emergency mode and you're bleeding profusely emotionally or, or relationally to go see a counselor. Uh, go see a counselor uh, far before then and get help. But Angela and I needed some help. We needed some counsel. And I remember sitting down next to Angela talking to this counselor. And the counselor said something that I really needed to hear. He said to me, he said, you be careful how you treat your wife. 
And he looked at Angela and said, you be careful how you treat your husband. And he looked at me and said, she is the daughter of God. And God cares deeply how you treat his daughter. Next time you're tempted to yell at her, remember how you would feel if someone was yelling at your child. The next time you want to yell at your husband, stop and think, that's God's child. And he's thorough in punishing. You be careful how you treat him. He is the son of God. My sister, my spouse. There was a partnership between these two people. Solomon talks to her in physical, provocative terms. And while this shepherd boy is clearly interested in the beauty of this girl, he mentions how pretty her lips are. and He talks about the smell of her. He talks about milk and honey being under her tongue. He's very generic and careful in how he describes her beauty. He talks more about this partnership that they have they share together in God. I'll just take it a little step further here and just say that if you tonight, you're here or you're listening to me online and you're saved and you're dating a young man or a young woman who is not saved, you have no business dating them. The Bible talks about in 2 Corinthians that we be not unequally yoked together. If I were to take two ox and I were to put them in a yoke, that's a piece of wood that connects them together, and they plow a field together. That partner that you join with in life, they better make sure that they're going the same direction that you are. Because if you put two animals that are different in, an, in a yoke, and you try to get them to plow a field, you're going to have nothing but problems and heartaches and struggles. And you take two people who are going in two different directions spiritually, and you put them in the same yoke, and you're going to have problem after struggle after problem after struggle. And listen, if you're here tonight or listening to me, and you're married to someone, and you got married in an unequally yoked relationship, uh, listen, that's a struggle that you have to endure with, and you have to battle with, and you have to fight. You make the very best of it, but if you're here tonight and you're not married, boy, heed my counsel. You make sure that you and that person are on the same sp uh, page spiritually. You both have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you, and you can look at each other and say, my brother, my spouse, or my sister, my spouse. My sister, my spouse. There is a partnership that culminates in romance when two people unite together in holy matrimony and we must be careful. We must be sure to be able to look at that person and say, my brother, my spouse, or my sister, my spouse. We see here his partnership, his partnership. There was a plan in the marriage. There was a honeymoon in place. There was a thought of where he would take her. We see a partnership, a respect. They showed each other. Let her see, notice his passion, his passion. Go back with me to Song of Solomon chapter 4 and look at verse number 11. We're getting ready to flip all over the Bible here in just a moment. We're going to spend quite a bit of time under letter D. Uh, but look at, um, look at chapter 4 and look at verse number 11 with me. He says to her, again, the shepherd singing from off stage, Thy lips, O my spouse, drop as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under thy tongue, and the smell of thy garment is like the smell of Lebanon. You see there's a, 
there is indeed a physical attraction that is part of godly romance. There's no question about it. You heard me say a couple of weeks ago in sort of a tongue-in-cheek, cheeky type uh, 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 manner that uh, beauty is skin deep but ugly goes all the way to the bone. Amen? Ugly goes all the way to the bone. Beauty may only be skin deep, but I'm just going to tell you, beauty is still important. Um, If you're not attracted to the other person, it doesn't matter how much character they have, and it doesn't matter how godly they are. If there isn't a physical attraction there, I highly recommend that you don't get into a dating relationship, a romantic relationship. For a short time in college, I dated a young lady right before I met Angela. We dated for about, I don't know, four to six months, and uh, we were friends, but looking back on it, there wasn't really a physical attraction from me to her. And it, when it fell apart, it just didn't hurt because there just wasn't that physical attraction. I heard a story about a man who was dating a girl, and uh, this girl had a beautiful singing voice. I mean, when she sung, you'd have thought Disney was trying to hire this young lady. I mean, just sing like a bird, just beautiful But everyone knew that she was lacking in the looks category. And um, this boy was dating this girl, and they were engaged to get married. And he had a couple of friends pull him to the side and say, Hey, man, what gives? He's like, what are you talking about? Why are you engaged to this girl? She isn't pretty at all. And and he said, Well, she sings really pretty. And he said, Yeah, but, but the looks, man. I mean, what's going on here? And he said, but I love her voice. And, um, and his friend joked with him and said, well, listen, let me give you a piece of advice here. If you are going to marry this girl, uh, he said, um, when you roll over in bed and you smell her breath and you see her hairs everywhere and um, she's at her worst and uh, you just want to turn around and look the other way and you, you, you don't like what you see, he said, I got one piece of advice for you. When you roll over, say to her, please, 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 Sweetheart, start singing right now. Um, uh, but look, looks go both ways. And I'm not trying to, to say that men only need to marry pretty women. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And um, different people see uh, beauty different ways. Listen, ladies, I would give you the same piece of advice. If some guy comes up to you and he's attracted to you and he's pursuing you and you look at him and go, I just don't see myself with that, then don't date him. There needs to be a physical attraction uh, involved there. Verse number 11, he's attracted to this young lady's lips. He uh, sees her as having honey and uh, milk under his tongue. I would also add that this shepherd boy was far better at being descriptive and flirtatious than old King Solomon was. Okay? King Solomon talked about a girl's teeth being made out of sheep. And at least he had enough wisdom to say, there's milk and honey under your tongue. Uh, that's still not the greatest um, pickup line, but that sure beats Solomon's pickup lines. Amen? Uh, but there is a passion here, a passion here. Let me uh, uh, add to this point if I could. Turn over to um, 1 Corinthians 6. This won't be on the screen uh, for those of you watching at home. This was a, a last-minute addition here. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and, uh, or rather chapter 7, and look at verse number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And verse number one, I'll begin reading. The Bible says, Now concerning the, thir- the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And this is an eros-type touch. This is not a handshake 
or a brother or sister in Christ type uh, innocent hug. This is a romantic touch. It is good for a man not to touch a woman, nevertheless to avoid fornication. So this is a touch that lends toward or leans toward or that brings about fornication. To avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Here's the point I want to draw out of here. The Bible says that uh, in the dating process, the courting process, uh, there needs to be a build-up of emotional love and spiritual love and um, uh, social love. But the physical love, you need to hold off on too much demonstration of physical love. It almost needs to be like a dam of water that's building, and then on that wedding day, it all comes flowing out, and it's fully, fully, fully enjoyed, that physical, marital intimacy. We see here in Song of Solomon chapter 4 and verse number 11, there was a passion. There was a physical attraction. There was a romantic interest expressed in a physical way. But boy, it was done in a way that was above board and very, very, very careful and tasteful. Letter D, and we're going to spend quite a bit of time here. Notice his pure motives. His pure motives. So we see the shepherd's plan, his partnership, his passion, and we see his pure motives. Look at uh, verse number 12, and we'll read down through 15. It says here, A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. A spring shut up, a fountain sealed. Thy plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, camphor with spikenard, spikenard and saffron, calmus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the chief spices, a fountain of gardens, a well of living water, and streams from Lebanon. Um, can you see a purity here in the, in the speaking? Look back at verse number 12. Look back at verse number 12. A garden, notice that next word, enclosed. Is my sister, my spouse. Look here, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. The description here of the fiancé, the shepherd boy, of his, uh, of his wife-to-be was that her purity has been kept intact. Her purity has been kept intact. A spring shut up, she's kept herself modest and pure. Um, uh, we see here a fountain sealed, um, a garden enclosed. All of these are terms to describe a young lady who's been very careful in the way that she's handled her own sexuality. Hebrews chapter, by the way, turn over to Proverbs chapter 31 and verse number 10. Proverbs, and that's just a, just a handful of pages to the left there. Uh, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and in the last chapter, chapter 31, uh, where we'll find the virtuous woman here in just a moment. Um, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 says, Marriage is honorable in all. And the bed undefiled. If I could just take a moment and explain what that means. There is nothing that a married couple could do in the bedroom that is undefiled. Or rather that is defiled. As long as both parties in the wedding are com in the marriage are comfortable uh, with what's done. There is no act between a husband and wife that's consensual in the bedroom. That is sinful. However, marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. Those acts need to take place within the confines of marriage and in a place that is 
private uh, and alone and quiet. I will build on that further and say, do not talk about your romance life with anyone outside of your marriage, ever. Uh, Whatever goes on between you and your spouse needs to stay between you and your spouse. It is highly inappropriate for a Christian to talk about that. One church that I was a part of, the pastor who had been there years before, uh, his wife loved to come to church and brag about how much, how in love uh, she was with her husband. And she would say things that would make the other ladies in the church blush. And she would end up being the reason why he would have to resign the pastorate because she just could not control her loose mouth. And if a pastor's wife can do that, boy, it can happen to other people. We must be careful that we're not talking about these, these, the, these things. The only exception to that would be is that if there is a struggle uh, in the bedroom when it comes to you and your spouse, it is wise for you to seek out a godly counselor and uh, in a consensual agreed upon way for the two of you to sit down and work through those things with a counselor but even that should be done after much prayer and careful consideration we see here that this young lady is described as being a garden that is enclosed shut off to everyone else a spring that is shut up she's not loose and, 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 and sensual a fountain that is sealed why for her spouse to be these Phrases imply purity. Look at Proverbs chapter 31. Look at verse number 10. The Bible says, Who can find a virtuous woman? A virtuous woman. For her price is far above rubies. Far above rubies. A virtuous woman is a woman who has many, many, many virtues. Look down with me at verse number 25. Strength and honor are her clothing. Are her clothing. And she shall rejoice in in time to come. Notice here that honor is described as a piece of clothing. A lot of women today wear clothes that are, watch this now, cute. Cute. But they draw eyeballs to the wrong part of the body. And I don't think many girls put an outfit on thinking this is going to, you know, draw man's eyes to the wrong spot. Uh, I don't think most women do that. I think they put it on because the culture tells them it's acceptable and it's okay. And I can already hear either someone here online saying, well, those dirty men wouldn't look. And I would just say to the women that are here today, you've never been a man. You don't know what it's like to be a man. And so you don't judge us men. It is wrong for a man to look at a woman. If she's walking down the road stark naked, it's wrong for us to look. But I can tell you something today. It sure help us men a whole lot if you women would be more considerate and careful with what you put on. Turn over with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 9. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 9. Um, I can remember, and this is your pastor just being transparent, I can remember being a teenage boy walking through the mall and walking past the Victoria's Secrets and uh, going through puberty and feeling as though it was impossible to look the other direction if I didn't have a mom or dad right there to keep an eye on me. Here you have women who are drop-dead gorgeous, wearing almost nothing in the window, and as a boy trying to get all this figured out, having a hard time looking away. You say, you're a terrible person. No, I'm normal. All the men that can agree with me this evening, would you raise your hand and not leave your pastor sitting out, you know, on a branch by himself? I'm normal. 
Some things are just not appropriate. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 9. Um, uh, Paul is telling Timothy here uh, some of the things he needs to teach in his church. It says there, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or perils or costly array. Notice that phrase, modest Apparel. That word modest comes from the, uh, the Greek word katastoli, and a katastoli was a garment worn by royalty that was long and loose flowing. Long and loose flowing. Now, the purpose tonight is not to, to, to harp on modesty, but I do just want to make one statement I would encourage you to write down here. Um, and here's the statement Let the arrows of your fashion always point to your face. Let the arrows of your fashion always point to your face. You put an outfit on, ladies, and uh, you get ready to walk out the door. It would be good for you to ask your husband, and if you're still living at home and you're a teenage girl, to ask your father, uh, Dad, is this appropriate? And, or husband, is this appropriate? Does this draw eyeballs to the wrong spot? And give your husband or your father the permission to say, No, that's not appropriate. And if they do, then you turn right back around and you put on something different. I can remember my sisters coming downstairs and my dad looking at both of my sisters at different times saying, that's not going to work, head upstairs and change. And I'm thinking, there's nothing wrong with that. And to my sister's credit, they went right upstairs and changed and didn't give my dad a single problem. Uh, I remember early on in my marriage, Angela, Angela and I were working through a lot of these things. Angela was new to the Christian world somewhat. We walked out the door one day to go somewhere, and I looked at what Angela was wearing, and I just wasn't comfortable with it. And I said to her, as sweet as I could, I said, uh, sweetheart, I, that's, that's a little too pretty. Can you go put, put on something different? And it wasn't, listen, if she had worn it here uh, and just been a regular lady in the church, no one would have thought twice about it. It wasn't uh, grossly immodest or way out of bounds, but for what I was comfortable with, I would have preferred her to wear something different. And to her credit, she went right back inside and changed and not give me one bit of attitude. And I would say that a whole lot more men would be willing to do that for their wives if they didn't feel like their wife was going to fight them and give them the cold shoulder for the next month if they did so. And so modesty is important. We see here that the shepherd boy describes her as being a woman who is clothed in modesty. She is a garden that is enclosed, a spring that is shut up, a fountain that is sealed. Uh, let's move on, uh, looking at her pure motives. Take your Bibles over to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. Galatians 5:22. Back in uh, Song of Solomon, uh, chapter... I flipped past it. Song of Solomon chapter 4, we see that he describes her as being fruitful. As being fruitful. Let me read it here. He says, He says, Thy lips, O my spouse, drop as the honeycomb, um, honey and milk are under thy tongue, and the smell of thy garment is like the smell of Lebanon. A, let me skip down to 13. In verse 13, he says, Thy plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits, camphor with spikenard. So he points out the orchard, the pomegranates, the pleasant fruits. He points out that she's fruitful. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, tells us the types of fruit that we should produce in our lives. Love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. 
Hey, let me just make sure I, I get this in here. This is very, very important. By the way, John chapter 15 in verse number 4, for the uh, sake of time, we won't turn over there and read it, but it says there that we're to abide in the vine as branches were to abide in the vine and we bear fruit through Jesus. Amen? You know what? If you're here today and you're not married and you're interested in, in one day getting married, can I tell you that while uh, physical beauty might be toward the top of what's important to you, you make sure that if that's 1A, you make sure that 1B is that this is a young man or a young lady who is producing the fruits of the Spirit in his or her life and a young uh, lady or a young man who is producing uh, for the Lord uh, uh, an attitude that's godly and is bearing Fruit for the Lord. Uh, godly romance is not just built on the way someone smells and the way someone looks and the way someone walks and the way someone wiggles. No, uh, godly romance is built on you looking for someone who is saved and is producing fruit for the Lord. Producing fruit for the Lord. You find someone who's just in love with Jesus Christ as you are. This man says about her, not only is she pretty on the outside, she's pretty on the inside. In the Spanish world, uh, my wife, or in the, in, in the Spanish language, my wife has a phrase that she's used with uh, April oftentimes. She says to April, she says, you don't need to just, I'll translate it in English, you don't need to just be pretty on the outside, you need to be pretty on the inside. You need to be pretty on the inside. And I've met a lot of women who are really pretty on the outside, and they are ugly, ugly, ugly in their heart. They're mean, they're nasty. You know, I was raised by mom and dad who kind of taught me to treat women uh, uh, with respect and class and careful. Women in my world, women were kind of put up on a pedestal a little bit. And I thank God for that. Um, but you know what uh, helps take the woman off the pedestal? Is when I get around a group of women and I hear them start cursing like sailors. I've been around some women and it's, it, they talk just as bad as guys I've worked jobs with. And I'm left scratching my head and saying, that's not very ladylike. And by the way, it's not very Christian man-like to do it either. But when a woman does it, it to me, it's like me uh, seeing a woman with a cigarette in her mouth, you know, a, a cuss word coming out of her mouth. And uh, listen, you find a young lady who is producing fruit in her life that's love and joy and peace. And ladies, you find a man who has commitment and stability and firmness and is producing for the Lord. Back over, and, and by the way, I want you to turn over to Song of Solomon chapter 4. I really want you to see this before we get out of here. This is really, really good. We're almost done with the Bible study here. Uh, look back with me at verse number uh, 12. I found this to be, or rather verse 13. I found this to just be fascinating in my study. Uh, he says about her, Thy plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits. Now let's, look at the list here. They go all the way down through verse 14. He says, camphor with spikenard, spikenard and saffron, calmus and cinnamon with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes with all the chief spices. Now, interestingly enough, in the ancient world, these spices could be used one of two ways. They could either be used medicinally or they could be used as a perfume. Solomon now, don't miss this. This is really good. Solomon saw this girl for these spices and how they made her smell. The shepherd boy, just based on the context of the rest of the passage, he saw these things that she brought into his life as being medicine to help him get through life. Now, here is a great point of application. 
God will give you many gifts and talents as a person, especially you ladies, that will both help heal your home and make the odor of your home, and I'm meaning this figuratively, far, far better. Men, don't just fall in love with the way a lady smells. Fall in love for what she can do to advance your cause in growth for the Lord. Turn back over to Proverbs 31 and verse number 30. Proverbs chapter 31 and verse number 30. Again, the description of the virtuous woman. And due to time, I'm going to begin reading. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. That's, that's those spices as perfume. Favor is beauty, uh, deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord shall be praised. Look at 31. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Let her own works praise her in the gates. That's the place where the judging was done. All of the spices listed could be viewed as medicine or perfume. Solomon would have viewed them as perfume. The shepherd boy would have viewed them as medicine uh, uh, primarily and perfume secondarily. Let's finish out the Bible study night, understanding godly romance. Notice number four, the satisfaction. The satisfaction of godly romance. Look back at verse 16. So are you picturing this as a play? Solomon comes in on his bridal car. He makes this uh, aggressive, pushy, fast-moving, sexual assumption toward the young lady, uh, um, uh, seduction, rather, of the young lady. The, the young lady looks past him and looks to the mountains for her shepherd boy. The shepherd boy then cries in from out, uh, offstage, my sister, my spouse, describes her as pure, describes his plan, uh, talks about all these wonderful things about her, and how does she respond? Look at verse 16. Awake, O north wind, and come thou south. Blow upon my garden, that the spices thereof may flow out. Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. She says, this garden I have kept and prepared and secured and enclosed for him and him alone. And when that wedding day comes, he will be all of this that I have will be 100% for him. She says, let the wind come and blow it his direction and let him come and get me and take me away to the honeymoon. And that is the culmination in the love that God created between a man and a woman. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 22 says, He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Godly romance is God's idea. The world has perverted it. And we see Solomon had a perverted view of it, but this couple had a pure view of it, and they loved each other, and while they were physically attracted, they were on a deeper level spiritually attracted. And uh, we see here that she was ready to give herself to him in marriage. Godly romance. We need to get back as a culture and a society that does romance, not the world's way, that does it God's way. Amen? Let's stay together. We'll be dismissed. hope the Bible study was an encouragement to you tonight. Uh, if not anything else, it's a neat little love story that you get to come and enjoy. Better than a Hallmark movie, because all those have the same plot every time anyway. Amen? Let's be dismissed with the word of prayer. Ask God to bless us as we go. Lord, help us tonight. Help us to take what we've heard and, uh, and, and put it to heart. And Lord, help us to commit. Lord, the married people in the room, help us to pursue our spouses with a godly uh, attitude. And Lord, all the various things that were covered Spirit of God, apply it where needed. In Jesus' name, amen.